You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm your host. Thanks for listening in, whoever you may be and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. On the podcast today is Jason Rowland. He's a senior pastor and one of the elders of Believer's Baptist Church and another of our elders, Philip Castleton. And we are getting to, we actually are at the end of the Doctrines of Grace episodes that we wanted to release this September. Um, we have gone through four questions at this point, and um, I think that um, with this question comes a question that a lot of people might have in mind. The question of the day, I'll pose that, and then I'll, I'll ask this question that I think a lot of people might be uh, maybe maybe in their minds. Um, the question of the day is, what is the security of the believer? And um, this is something you might hear often, but um, what about babies who die? And that's a question that a lot of people would pose, I think. So as you have listened and been involved with the recording of the previous four podcasts, Radical Depravity, Unconditional Election, Particular Redemption, an efficacious call, um, it, in your mind, Tyler, it raises the question, what about babies who die? Because that is a question that has been asked to me before. It's a question, Philip, and you and I have talked about before. We've talked about it today even. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a question that when you talk about election that automatically comes up um, that is trying to um, argue against election, because it's the idea, well, how do we know um, that babies are elect or not? But it, it, let's just say this, that either way, if you have an Armenian view with its free will and its um, man being able to choose and have the freedom to choose to come to God, or if you go with a more uh, reform view, um, Calvinistic view that God elects, then the question is not answered either way. Yeah. It's not satisfied. It's neither, not, neither one of those theologies satisfy that question. Sure. Right. Because the, the, um, if you have a free will baby, mm-hmm. that free will baby, according to free will, has to repent and, and have faith, exercise faith. Mm-hmm. So if that baby then, um, in the horrendous case of it being aborted, or if there's some tragic sudden death, or there's some crisis of a baby dying before um, involving itself in an action of sin, Mm -hmm. it doesn't take away the fact that he is born in sin Mm -hmm. as one of the descendants of Adam, Mm -hmm. uh, being born as a human, then he is a sinner. But the the only thing that we can fall back on um, is the character of God. Um, and the fact that um, repentance and faith has to be exercised, um, whether you're a Calvinist or whether you're Armenian. Yeah, well, we got we got the character of God. We have one instance where David's son died, and he looks forward to seeing him in eternity, right? But but the thing is, is you're right. Um, neither 
neither Calvinism nor Arminianism um, answers that question. It can't. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the the Arminian will use Calvinism as an objection, and they'll say, well, if God elects, then what about all those babies who are aborted? You know, what about them? Do they all go to hell? Well, no, you haven't answered the question. First of all, they could be elect. They, you know, they may not be elect. We don't know if they're elect, right? That would be the assumption. But but the Arminian has no response either if you take them to the logical you know, end of theirs, because they would say, well, a person has to repent and believe to be saved. Well, um, you know, a, a one-year-old's not acting in repentance and belief. Right. A baby who dies in utero is not acting in repentance and belief. So both situations have no recourse except for to trust in the character of God who always does good. Right. who is just by nature, who is righteous by nature. And we have the testimony of David's son, whom he says he will one day go and see. Right. And we, we can see in Scripture the very um, um, soft or tender, merciful attitude that God has toward, gender, uh, toward children. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Uh, Galatians 1.15. He had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. We can think of Psalm 139. We don't have time to read all of the verses. But, O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of, one, all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he continues and he talks about, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. So those are just texts that speak to God's attitude toward children. The one that you've referenced is in 2 Samuel, and David's sin with Bathsheba has produced a a baby, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, for he did not eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he was asked, they set food before him, or when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And his servants 
ask, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. And when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So, Hope replaced David's sorrow, mm-hmm. and the hope was a longing that he would see that child again yeah. in eternity. Yeah, and that's that's what we have to 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 found our concerns thereupon is the fact that God is just. He's he's he he is loving. He's merciful, and um, and so I don't think. It can whatever whatever happens to babies, whatever it is that happens to babies, cannot be an objection to Calvinism any more than it could be an objection to Arminianism. Right. I mean, because neither one in this sense answers the question. Now, I actually think that Ar- that Calvinism uh, does provide a better answer in the sense that um, since God ordains all things that come to pass. A baby dying in utero, as in the case of um, miscarriage or abortion or something, or a baby dying um, as a one or two or three year old or whatever the case may be, um, those things don't take God by surprise. He is He ordains all things that come to pass, and so I would argue that those all babies that die like that are elect, right? Right. And so I mean, it's not outside of um, God you know, knows they're elect. You're saying. Well, God elected them. Right. He didn't just know they're elect. Right, right. He chose them. Right. But he also chose them, you know, and and ordained all things that come to pass, meaning that he ultimately ordained when they would die, being in the womb or, you know, in an early stage of life. So I have no issue with that because I believe God is just and righteous, and I think he's merciful even to babies. Who, who, and, and so I don't have to explain it away, but if those who, who might go, well, um, uh, they, they find uh, Calvinism to be distasteful because what about, what does God do with the babies? Well, Arminianism doesn't answer that question. Right. Both, both of us have to say, um, I will entrust that God does what is right with babies. Right. And you're not saying, if I want to be clear, you're not saying that God is participating in evil in the case of an abortion so that this uh, baby is elect and goes to heaven. Uh, no, I'm not saying he participated right. in evil. Um, I'm saying that men and, and women do evil because their hearts are inclined to evil. Um, in the case of uh, Joseph and his brothers, um, one action intended both by God and by Joseph's brothers, one was intended to save the nation of Israel, right? And the other intended to destroy Joseph. So the, Same act, different intention, one good, one bad. I'm saying that God being sovereign over all things and the one who decrees all things that come to pass intends for good for his people. And just because a mother wanting sexual freedom or not wanting to be... Um, uh, burdened by a child the rest of her life, goes to the abortuary and has her baby uh, ripped from her womb. Uh, she is acting in evil. God acted in good, and I and 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 I and the intent behind it um, is is what distinguishes the two. Right. 
And so maybe that gives some thought, some clarity to uh, yeah. what happens to babies to die that die be, because, again, it is used as an objection against Calvinism. But let's do the last of the five points. And the the last doctrine is called the security of the believer. So I think you have, a, again, a definition from Steve Lawson. This is an important part of the understanding of the doctrines of grace. It's the finality. Mm-hmm. It's the end result of all the other things that we've said. Right. And so uh, what is your definition? Well, by? it's also called a preservation of the saints or sometimes the Per, uh, preserving, preserving of the saints. But here you go. Once converted, every believer is kept eternally secure by all three persons of the Trinity, all whom God foreknew he predestined in eternity past. He will glorify in eternity future. No believer will drop out or fall away. Every, believe, every believer is firmly held by the sovereign hand of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never to be lost. None of Jesus' sheep for whom he has laid down his life will perish. The Holy Spirit permanently seals in Christ all whom he draws to faith. Once born again, none can never be unborn. Once a believer, none can ever become an unbeliever. Once saved, none will ever become unsaved. God will preserve them in faith forever, and they will persevere to the end. Thus, the doctrine of preserving grace is often called the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. From beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. In reality, these five doctrines of grace form one comprehensive body of truth concerning salvation. They are inseparably connected and therefore stand or fall together. To embrace any of the one necessitates embracing all five. To deny one is to deny the others and, and fracture the Trinity, setting the three person at odds with each other. These doctrines speak together with one voice, giving the greatest glory to God. Such a high theology produces high doxology when it is rightly understood that God alone, Father, Son, and Spirit saves sinners, then all glory goes to Him. So in summary, all who were chosen by God, redeemed by Christ, given faith by the Spirit, are eternally saved. They are kept in faith by the power of God. And they persevere to the end. Yes. The Arminian, or the contrasting viewpoint, would allow for the possibility of a fall from grace. Yes. And you know what's really interesting? We'll go here for just a moment, because the the, the Arminian um, it comes in many different flavors, like Baskin-Robbins, right? I mean, they really do. Much like the Calvinist sometimes does. They, they come in different flavors. But, but what's interesting about this is, for example, the Southern Baptist, which we use the term Arminian. They might not use it of themselves. Right. But we're using this term. The, the, the typical Southern Baptist would say, they would use a term, they say, once saved, always saved, right? right? So it's like this particular doctrine, even though they don't articulate it well, I don't think that's a good phrase to use. Um, because often what they mean is I have, there's been a transaction that has transpired between me and God, right? I asked him to become my savior and he declared me his own, whether it's transformative or not. That's the issue. Yeah. I will never be lost. I can't even leave if I want to. 
right? I mean, I'm stuck. My free will got me in, but God's had a hold of me and I can't get away. This is the way they, they think about this. Right. Even if there is no transformative work by the Spirit yes. to demonstrate fruits of repentance. Yes. They think they're once they're in, they're in and they can't get out, right? right? Here's what's interesting. That's an inconsistency because they, they claim that man's free will could never be violated by God. Right. That's what they claim, most right. of them. God would never violate a man's will. So man must exercise his will to come to Christ. But if you're going to follow that through and be consistent, it would mean that he can also exercise his will and walk away from the faith. Right. Which that many charismatics actually do hold that consistent view, which I'll give credit to. I'm not saying it's the right view. I don't think it's biblical at all, but it's at least consistent. They say, if my free will got me in, my free will can get me out. Most of the Southern Baptists say, my free will gets me in, but now I'm stuck. Even if I want out, I can't get out. We would say, no, neither one of those are, are correct, even though one is more consistent than the other. What we would say is the Bible says is no, because salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. He brings his people into salvation and he brings them all the way to the end and brings them to glory. He keeps them in that process. He does. Yeah. Even the process of sanctification, which is the only monogistic synergistic work <laughs> and I use two con contrasting terms because we do um, cooperate with God in the sense in our sanctification but what we ultimately realize is that um, even our cooperation was ultimately energized and empowered by God so so that's why I say monergistic but yet synergistic in that sense but only in our sanctification what we recognize though is that even in this process where we grow to be more like Christ it's something that Christ is doing in us and this is what the end of, of John 3 actually says that those who don't come to the light because they, they find their worst evil right they don't want to be exposed but then it says those who do ultimately come recognize that the works they've done were done in God Right. 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 So God is the one who who has been actually working in them to accomplish all of those things. So we, we typically think of grace as the work of um, favor that God does uh, towards sinners, mm -hmm. which is is correct. That's yeah. a biblical way to think of it. But we also um, need to remember that grace has this empowering to. Um, live the Christian life to continue in obedience, um, even to endure suffering. For example, we preached yesterday out of Second Corinthians 12, mm -hmm. and Paul's answer to the thorn in his flesh was, um, my grace is sufficient. This was God's answer to Paul, how to um, continue. My grace is sufficient for you. That grace being sufficient for him is an empowering a help, a strength to continue uh, in spite of the, the thorn in the flesh in that case. Yes. So then the grace that comes to us is a grace that is given to us by God, um, not only in saving grace, but in sanctifying grace. Then that is the evidence of his keeping. Yes. And his working in us. And, and it is uh, synergistic in that we are cooperating with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, we are um, doing the things that are necessary, um, the spiritual disciplines, for example, the spiritual disciplines of um, Bible intake, worship with other believers, mm -hmm. um, using our spiritual gifts. Yeah, prayer. All, all of things. those things. Yeah. 
those become then um, part of our obedience. Because someone might think that, well, why should we be obedient if he's going to keep us to the end? Mm-hmm. Um, but we are obedient because that's the the work that God has done um, so that we might become conformed to the image of his son. That's the means that he's given. Yeah, it's it's amazing that people try to um, create some kind of distinction between those things, you know. Well, why should I be obedient? Well, th- th- he's keeping you through your obedience. Right. I mean, and that's the amazing thing. It's like the warnings pe- that he gives in Hebrews. People say, well, why would he give those warnings if people couldn't walk away? Well, what if those warnings, and this is the way I understand them, what if those warnings are the means by which he keeps you in the faith? He actually warns you, and because he's given you a spirit, the, the spirit of God alive in you, you read the warnings, you heed the warnings and he keeps you on the path. Right. Right. It's not that he gives you that warning. And so by the, because he gave you the warning, it means, well, that means that I can lose my salvation. No, it means that he's saying he's using the warnings as a means of keeping you. I mean, the warning itself is an act of grace. Right. And those are Hebrews six, Hebrews 10 are two examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with with your understanding and uh, interpretation of that. Um, so he who began a good work in us will complete it. He's faithful to. He is faithful to do that. But we are also called to be faithful in our obedience. And, yeah. In fact, First um, John 2, um, you know, makes clear he's talking about false teachers. But in particular, there's a, a more general way to understand. But he talks about people who walk away from the faith. Right. right. And he actually says there that those people. People didn't walk away. And this is something that you hear on radio all the time, especially in apologetic circles. You hear people talking about all these kids who walk away from the faith, right? Well, we need to give them more better foundation because they go to college and they walk away from the faith. Well, the testimony of Scripture is that if they walk away, they give evidence that they didn't belong in the faith. They didn't at one time have a, a salvific faith that has... Um, that has failed to bring them to the completion of their salvation. What they had was superficial at best. I mean, the parable of the soils might offer us some information here. They had something that appeared to be life. It sprang up for a little while, but it had no root, and the heat came, or or the the, the, the trouble, the trials, yeah, whatever. The persecution, yeah, it came and 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 ultimately beat down what appeared to be um, you know new life, and ultimately you see uh, no real fruit. But the testimony of Scripture is that when the seed lands on good soil, uh, you know, that soil is, is God-prepared soil, God-made soil. When it lands there, it actually comes up and produces a harvest. And so uh, we, we should understand this, this concept of, of persevering within the, con- within the, the context of um, preserving. Right. We persevere because He preserves. Right. And typically, the Calvinistic viewpoint or the doctrines of grace, uh, the Reformed viewpoint, would be if a person had demonstrated in their life uh, for several years, let's say even a a decade of uh, being in worship, being involved with other believers, trying to be obedient to the spiritual disciplines, and then for the last um, uh, three quarters of their life, for the last 30 to 40 years of their life, they walk away from the faith. They mm-hmm. they do not live consistently with Scripture. The Calvinistic Reformed thought would be those people were never saved in the first place. Right. And and whereas the Armenian viewpoint would just say that they they either fell away mm-hmm. or 
were in the Baptist circles, we would say they're carnal. Well, yeah, they they just um, yeah they're yeah. saved, but, but by the skin of their teeth. Yes, they um, they're not living a the, God is their Lord, but not, I mean their Savior, but not their Lord. Right. But, you know. Yeah. That's, so that's so we we have in the Southern Baptist life we have a lot of um, justification by death. Yes. They, justification by death. Yes, justification by death is that um, because they were human, and because at some point they, at a vacation Bible school or a camp, they may have um, prayed a prayer, or raised a hand, or fill out a card, and uh, now they had never lived consistently yeah. with Scripture, uh, but yet they are going to be in heaven and enjoy all the actually benefits of it heaven. It may be even worse than that because I, I think it goes like this uh, in, in in the fullest sense of how bad justification by death is. You go to a funeral and a person never made a, a profession of faith. They never had any desire for the things of God, but they are human and they died. And heaven is the place that people go when they die. As I.e., human being died must be in heaven justified by death. You know, heaven is the place where dead people go. So they are in heaven. But that's not scriptural at all, right? So and and it's and it's really shameful that we think along those lines. Right. Well, the probably the most beautiful doxology in all of scripture speaks to this as we come to a close. This is in Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Uh, so, uh, this is a doxology that speaks um, particularly and especially to God's keeping us uh, to present us blameless. This is the elect. This is not everyone, but this is the, the elect who are kept to be presented blameless in the presence of his glory and with joy in that being accomplished. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Jesus is the one uh, by which we are kept and through whom we are kept. Well, um, I don't know if you have another text to well, that. But yeah, I don't know how long you want. I'll just read it real quick. Okay. And, and the, the text you just talked about, his, his, his accomplished work, is accomplished because of the atoning work of Christ. We have a high priest, distinct from the high priest in the Old Testament, who was, who was limited by his own sin or his death or whatever. He couldn't remain. But we have a high priest that can. Right, he lives forever, and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter seven, um, verse twenty-three: the former high priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And here's the consequence to that: verse twenty-five. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost right. those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Right. He 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 intercedes for us. He he atoned for us. Now he's in heaven interceding for us. He's praying for us. Uh, why, did, why did Peter, why is Peter in heaven right now and Judas in hell? The distinction between the two, the intersection of, intercession of Christ. Uh, they both denied Christ. And Jesus prayed for Peter. He didn't pray for Judas. The intercession, the work of the high priest applied to Peter. Peter comes through. He perseveres. He comes through on the other side. Why? The intercessory work of Christ in the, aton in the atonement. Why not Judas? 
no intercession. This is what you're talking about. This is what you were saying. This is why our salvation, this is why we persevere, because we have a high priest who ever lives and intercedes on our behalf. Right. Well, I hope that all five of these podcasts through this month of September in 2020 have been helpful and helping you to think about doctrines of grace. I pray that they would be a means of sanctification to you. Uh, And again, just to wrap it up, a couple of thoughts about why is this so important? Why do we have this debate between Calvinism and Arminianism? And why, if it causes the troubles that we have had in the past with the church um, people um, walking away from the church and 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 departing from um, being involved, um, why would we continue to hold to it? Why would we have these convictions? Well, I think there are several reasons. And again, uh, I, I I use some thoughts from John Piper in an article that he wrote, but these truths um, make us confident that the work which God planned and had begun, he will finish. He will accomplish it for his people all over the world. I mean, it's, it's not just here. It is from every tribe, every nation, every culture, every ethnicity, he will accomplish the purpose of saving. So that's one thing. Another thing is that um, all of these truths help us to see everything in the light of God's sovereign purposes Mm -hmm. so that our suffering has meaning, our troubles have meaning, our joys have purpose. Um, Everything is from Him and through Him and um, to Him are all things and to Him be the glory. None of this is so that I might elevate myself, but all of this is so that I could see my life within God's sovereign purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, these truths help us to be uh, hopeful, hopeful that God has the will, the right, the power uh, to answer prayer, um, to transform people. I mean, think about that. Um, that we can trust these things because we trust in the sovereignty of God working through these doctrines of grace um, to give hope to our children who are lost, to our spouses, to our loved ones who are lost. Um, And then perhaps a final thought would be that uh, these truths remind us that evangelism is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. And what a privilege it is to be able to preach the gospel, know that God is going to use it to accomplish something with it. And it's not in vain. Well, uh, again, um, thank you for listening to all of these podcasts through the month of September. And thank you for listening uh, faithfully through all of this year in the month of October. Uh, we will celebrate one year of podcasts. And uh, we're thankful for all the opportunities that we've had to, to uh, be able to hopefully be of some help and encouragement. And uh, I've learned, mm-hmm. and it's been a, a good uh, opportunity, hopefully, for those who listen to us. And uh, may the Lord bless these series of podcasts that we've done for September be a blessing to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. If what you've heard today has been helpful to you, please subscribe. On behalf of the elders of BBC, I invite you to a worship service at Believer's Baptist Church this coming Sunday. The Bible study hour begins at 9.15 and the worship service begins at 10.30. Grace and peace. Peace.